With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Good morning and very, um, you're very welcome, I should say, really, to the, the latest edition of the uh, 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 Football Digest podcast. Um, and I'm delighted to be joined by my colleague, um, Daily Mirror Chief Sports Writer Andy Dunn. Uh, Jeremy Cross, Chief Sports Writer of the Daily Start, Matt Dunn, Football Aficionado um, of the of the Daily Express. Thanks so much indeed for joining us, um, guys. Really appreciate it, and thanks everyone um, for for your company who's watching. Um, so much to get through. I mean, every time I think it's going to be a kind of a straightforward agenda, some some mad result happens in this twenty four seven. Uh, world of football that we currently live in it's it's just remarkable at the moment isn't it I, I, you know it's incredible to think that all the games last night ended in away wins um with almost a story in each and every one of them it's just uh, it's just astonishing at the moment football should never cease to surprise us at, at, the, at these crazy times but i would argue it still does um but it does end up and it does feel as if at the back end of of, of this week um We've got now a very clear pattern emerging at the top of the uh, Premier League title race. We'll have a look at Man City. We'll also have a look at Liverpool and the sort of kind of emerging factors from them. I mean, Andy Robertson, pretty clear post-match. I don't know whether it was in a fit of peak, basically, or frustration, saying that Liverpool are actually out of the title race. Um, maybe is sort of kind of trying to play mind games ahead of their meeting with Man City. Um, but a couple of you guys were at um, uh, Burnley last night to to watch the uh, the latest Pep Wonder Show, and for me, it is a Guardiola Wonder Show. I think they're playing some of the some of the nicest football that that we've seen since those back to back title successes. Andy, you were there, weren't you, at Turf Moor? Um, Brave in the cold, no doubt. Always, always cold when you go there, even in the height of summer. But, um, but what, what, what was it like? Did, did, did they leave you convinced, Andy, that they're going to kind of, you know, make it a bit of a recession from here on in? It might be cold for you guys. You come up from the the soft south, mate. It wasn't. Me and Jessica there in shirt sleeves last night, mate. Let, let me tell you, it was it was possibly warm up at the top of that stand <laughs> compared to how it can be. I mean, listen. In fact, I've never been so cold as it was down at the Emirates. They talk about the north. I was down at the Emirates on Saturday mm. and it was cold there, mate. Yeah. Fortunately, we had some Bovril. I mean, it was that cold. I didn't want to drink the Bovril, pour it over my hands at the Emirates. It was that cold. <laughs> I don't think I've ever been. You soft northern as well. So it was quite balmy and, and, and a sort of light, sort of warm drizzle coming down. And I listen, it was ideal conditions for Manchester City, that's for sure. Um, nice pitch, no wind. Um, and they just, they just controlled the game from start to finish. I mean, it really was just as routine. Um, a pretty much a training exercise as you get for Manchester City. They're just so organised now. You, you know, gone are the days when you thought, well, you'll always get a chance against Man City. That was it, you, you know, because Pep, you know, would would play basically pretty much with 10 midfielders, essentially. Sometimes, he'd, you know, the defence would be horribly exposed. John Stones would be horribly exposed. And you would always, the same when that you would always have a chance to score against City. That seems to have gone. You know, I mean, that we were talking, we were doing the stats, me and Jeremy, last night after the game, and, 
you know, Jeremy's reminded me that that's four goals in 20 games they've conceded. Four goals in 20 games. One of them was Cheltenham Town. And the others, I think there's, there's a late goal in one of them. I can't quite remember now. But they look just so well ordered. They don't, they don't look like conceding goals, you know, against any opposition. Mm-hmm. And that is different. You know, you, there, there was always a... There was always a soft spot at the back. There's always a moment of madness. John Stone sort of epitomizes how they've cut that out of the game. You know, Diaz doesn't take any chances. John Stone doesn't take any chances anymore. That leaves the others to take chances. You know, Cancelo will get forward from, from his position. And yeah, listen, John, it was just as routine as you can imagine. You know, if City are not going to win the title, they're going to have to have a slip up in that type of game. And right at this moment, it doesn't look as though they're going to slip up in those type of games at all. It doesn't look like they're going to concede a goal. And, of course, they'll always score going forward. That's That just goes without saying. There's no point in dissecting that anymore. They will score goals. But now they're just, you know, I mean, pretty much impregnable at the moment. Mm. Jeremy, going go along with that, are, are they back to their, you know, very best of what, a couple of seasons ago? Yeah, I totally agree with what Andy said. You, you just you just look at them winning these games. I mean, they've th- won thirteen games on the on the spin now um, in all competitions, which I think equals um, Arsenal's record of two thousand and two. They just do it so so easily. I mean, and look with respect to Burnley, that that game last night was a mismatch. It was mm. you just knew as soon as City scored that, that, that it was over as a contest because obviously Burnley have struggled for goals this season. They're not very potent. I think they've only scored 13 goals in in the whole of the campaign. So the game was literally over after three minutes, which made it an easy night for us, really. But um, when you look at the Leicesters and the Uniteds in particular, like when you see United win a game, it looks like it's taken maximum effort for them to, to achieve that result. Whereas City are just coasting through, reeling off the wins and... You know, they're not being put under any pressure by anyone. I mean, obviously, look, they play Liverpool on um, Sunday and that'd be a different game altogether. Mm. Um, and that has huge significance. But I think if if they win on um, Sunday, I think you can pretty much put your hat on them winning the title because they'll be so far out of Liverpool. They'll be 10 points clear and that'll leave just Leicester and United as their nearest challenge. And I just don't think those two teams are good enough to not even catch them, let alone overhaul them. City just, they're just so strong. They don't have a weakness at the minute. They remind me of the team that won back-to-back titles, mm. which is a huge compliment because that was arguably the greatest side mm. uh, we ever seen in English football. So yeah, that they are, like Dunny says, they're just unbeatable at the minute. Yeah, they are playing at They just cruise. Can you see, is, is it a one-horse race? Now, as far as you're concerned, I mean, we shouldn't forget here, you, you know, they are winning games back to back like no other team in the Premier League. But it does still feel a very unpredictable season, a very inconsistent season. And I guess it was always going to be that team that stepped up and showed any sort of consistency. But is there anyone to challenge them? Um, not when Liverpool keep losing like they, they are at the moment. I mean, the thing with Manchester City, what what Pep's done, and it's interesting that Jeremy compared them to the last title-winning back-to-back team, is to be a serial success for a period of time, as Fergie was with Manchester United, you have to regenerate every few years. Uh, And you're sort of like some Doctor Who kind of regeneration. You come back, it looks different, but effectively, I mean, for a while there, Pep Guardiola was taking us down some sort of Colin Baker line, but but suddenly we've got this David Tennant, sort of generation that looks the real deal again. <laughs> and um I, I like I, Colin Baker's scarf, yeah. you know. I like oh, yeah, Pep. Yeah. But that was hey, a, Pep was a nice line of scarf, don't forget. 
yes. Pep doesn't very nice land scarves. Go on, Donny, sorry. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, there is that. Um, but uh, no, suddenly we've got Gabriel Jesus finally showing that he might become an Aguero. He's certainly got Gundogan becoming a Kevin De Bruyne while they've still got Kevin De Bruyne, which is handy. Diaz is the, is the new company, it seems. Uh, you know, early days yet to make that sort of comparison, but that's the direction they're moving. And suddenly, like Jeremy says, you've got a team capable of winning back-to-back titles, not just one title, but back-to-back titles again. Uh, Cancelo, instead of Walker, he seems to have nudged ahead of there. Uh, and just subtly, he's tweaked it all, and he's got a brand-new team like Fergie used to do. Uh, and I think Manchester City are ready to go again. So I, I'm thinking the way this has gone, they're going to win this title and be very hard to beat next season as well. Mm, yeah. No doubt. They'll probably make a couple of good signings in the summer as well. I mean, like a striker. The striker is Yeah, them. look, the, the big issue, Dunny's right, you just... The, you wait the way you see City going at the minute. You think they're in for another dominant spell, mm-hmm. but the big, big call they've got to make is what they do with Aguero because I think he'll end up leaving in the summer. He's had obviously a horrendous season with injuries and COVID and stuff. Um, you'll probably you'll see him play again, but you know you, the days of him scoring thirty goals a season are, are over now. So, and he will be so difficult to replace. And you look around the world and you think that you know there's probably what one or two players that are good enough to emulate what Aguero's done at City. So that, that's the massive one, one of yeah. whose dad one of whose dad used to play for City of Exactly, yeah. Yeah. And if they played maybe, a long game if they played a long game waiting for Guardiola, I'd just wonder whether or not there's yeah. something going yeah. on in the background that that's always been the plan. But if mm. they can get that decision right and pull off pull off a Haaland or an Mbappe or whoever, then you know you if you were Liverpool or Man United you'd be thinking, mm, this didn't look good. Uh, no, it, 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 it would be, I mean, if you got Holland, it would be incredible, wouldn't it? You know, everything about him makes you think, you know, wonder what he's doing in that Manchester City team. He's absolutely right about him regenerating the side. You know, you did mention the fact that, you know, you've got Foden, you, you know, he was only on yeah. the bench last night, but he's coming through. You could actually write the side now, the change of the Diaz, the Cancelo, the Foden, a, a rejuvenated or an inspired Gundogan. Jesus, you know, Jesus doesn't turn 24 until April. You, you know, he's got 75 goals already. He's got 75 goals. You know, people are quick to to doubt him. But, you know, he's got 75 goals for Manchester mm. City. He, he's our first-choice Brazil striker, and he doesn't turn 24 until April. So so you're right. Yes, so it's so they are setting the standard, John. You know, simple as that. Mm. I tell you what interests me about Guardiola is that, basically, I don't think he's, his genius has ever been in, 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 in doubt. But I do think that basically, because of the way he works, because of his intensity, traditionally he's only, if you look at it historically, he's only lasted so long at a club. Yeah. You know, whether that's yeah. wherever it might be. Three years. And I've got, I've got to put up my hand and say, look, I, I thought, I thought, you know, maybe when they re-signed that contract, they, they would reinvent him. But if you remember, he had a really sticky spell after the re-signing of the contract, yeah. and it was just we, we were beginning to think, you know. Is is the Guardiola that that kind of took City to new heights, took English football, I would argue, to new heights, still in there, or 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 has he lost it? I mean, I just think the way that he has come back has been nothing short of remarkable. I don't, you know, don't know that too many have reinvented themselves like he has. What a fan! I mean, it's like a second coming, as far as I'm concerned. Well, the thing is, John, it, 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 is that me and Jeremy have sat there uh, just over an hour before the game. Now, you mentioned Burnley and, and what it's like mm. up there at Turf Moor. It is old school. It was cold. It was wet. 
there was no one there. There was no one. Yeah, but I'm, I'm we're sat in the back of there, you, you know, sort of open our, our well, my particular snazzy flask of food. I knew you mentioned that. <laughs> it, uh, Go on, what did you have? What did you have? I, I had actually um, um, chunky minestrone with bacon soup, which I actually put a sprinkle of parmesan on actually in oh, the food flask. This food it, flask has been the best investments ever. I actually got it for my birthday. And yeah, bang, bang, bang chicken the other night. Bang bang chicken with the and of course as the you know the, the telescopic spirit etc. Anyway, but so we're, we're having that bang, across bang, the way. No, no, it's the, the Pep way. Guardiola of lunchboxes. Let me tell no, you, it's say total lunchbox. It's yeah. actually anyone who eats bang bang chicken at a game is all right by me. Oh man, honestly. So, um, <laughs> but anyway, so, uh, so it's over an hour before the game. So across in the dugout, across the other side, on his own in the corner. Just sat there in the corner. He must have sat there for I don't know, Jane. What probably best part of an hour, staring yeah. out um, across the the scene at Turf Moor, in total isolation. Pep Guardiola, and you think to yourself, you know, is he thinking at this time? What am I doing here? I mean, you know, I mean, I've got I've got beautiful I've got beautiful house in Barcelona. You know, my family might be in Barcelona, <laughs> and here I am at six o'clock on a January. Well, sorry, February. Um, Grim February night to take more. I mean, it's hosing down. The the in, when you mention the intensity, but the the ambition and the drive that he's shown to carry on doing this is incredible. Mm. Really, you know, that, mm. I'm, I'm sure he might have thought when he was sat there in the corner of that dugout an hour before the game on his own, and he must have maybe thought, you know, there are other places I could be, or maybe actually thought, you know what, this is where I want to be. This is where I want to be, inspiring this team to do. You know what a lot of people thought would be difficult, which is to win the two titles, lose last year, and then come back and win it again, and maybe win it again. So you're right. I think I think we all thought that if we had three years of Guardiola, we would probably count our blessings and think ourselves lucky. Mm-hmm. Well, we've got four. We're probably going to get five, and you know the Premier League is lucky to have him. Yeah, I agree with season. that. I do. I do think it, we are lucky to have him yeah. simply because Good I think anyone that raises the bar, it raises Liverpool's yeah. star and expectation. There was a bit of a hate from last season because obviously Liverpool yeah. was so amazingly good; they blew everyone away, including City. And I think from the Christmas onwards, he knew that the title was gone; it was going to Liverpool. I think from that point onwards, he started thinking about how he could, like Matt said earlier, regenerate the team. He targeted Diaz obviously as the man he wanted to sign. He convinced himself probably that he could go again and maybe start a new legacy and win more back-to-back trophies. Um, and obviously, he has such a close connection with the guys who run the club, the Spanish, the Spanish guys in the club. You know, there's a heavy, heavy influence. It's basically run on a Spanish level, so um, it, it's slightly unique in that respect. In terms of like, obviously, he didn't have that Bayern Munich, so that's another reason for him to stay. And obviously, if he thinks he can go on another march, like like he is doing now, that's probably why he decided to sign a new contract. But you're right earlier when you said he does tend to burn himself out, which he has yeah. done in Barcelona and and Bayern because he's such a madman. You know, he invests so much of his energy into into the job. But yeah, listen, he, he's not going anywhere soon, so that's great for us. It is, yeah. Matt, it, it's a huge game on Sunday, isn't it, still? The, the, the Liverpool-Man City. I mean, I, w- I watched Liverpool last night and it was, I mean, Brighton thoroughly deserved that victory. I thought Brighton were outstanding. You know, that yes, they did defend well, but let's not, you know, let's not kid ourselves. This wasn't a backs-to-the-wall job. This was a comprehensive, I think, all-round performance which, you know, got the better of Liverpool. Liverpool was second best in that game. 
Has their inconsistency surprised you? Are they, you know, if they win, if they turn it around, and let's be honest here, if they surprise us by winning on Sunday, they're back in it. Or do you not have that level of faith right now about this Liverpool team? Um, I think when you say it's a vital game on Sunday, I think it's a vital game for Liverpool. Mm. Uh, you throw it the other way and they don't win and they lose more specifically, then, yeah, Andy Robertson's got a point. that It is pretty much title over. Um, I think it'd be a bit flattering to Brighton. I'm not sure that they were the better team yeah, last they were. night. The no, 100% night. they were. Yeah, absolutely. Fair enough. I only saw oh. the highlight. Uh, they were certainly a very good... It wasn't just, uh, like you say, parking the bus and... And uh, no, no, it was, I mean, listen, they defended resolutely, defended um, deeply. Hit on the highlights didn't give them credit. I didn't see the game live, but uh, but it's the sort of thing that uh, Trent Alexander Arnold worries me a little bit defensively at the moment. It's little things like that that they were so good at that, that suddenly you're, you're seeing gaps. I mean, for the goal, he just drifted inside and watched the ball. Um, and um, uh, who was it who crept up on the outside burn? Yeah. up on the outside, headed the ball back across. You know, that's, that's poor defending and it's a poor goal to concede. And Liverpool are conceding a lot of those goals at the moment, which they didn't when they were winning the title. Uh, and it's there's that little, those little things all over the park that, that just have been the undoing of them. And in a way that we talk about Guardiola having regenerated, Klopp's kind of just filling in holes with players at the moment. There's no sort of sound plan in terms of where the development's coming from. Um, so, yeah, I think they're floundering a little bit at the moment. And, uh, and unless Salah's banging the ball, I mean, he's just, Salah should have scored in the uh, you know, yeah. first chance of the game. And yeah. it's a different story suddenly. But, <laughs> but you know, when he's misfiring, when Marnie's not in the team, um, Firmino, for as brilliant a player as he is, doesn't score enough goals to, you know, to be counted on when the others aren't scoring. And suddenly, one of the best free-scoring teams in, in in the world can't get the ball in the back of the net, and, and that's a massive problem. Mm. The worry for Liverpool now is obviously they've lost their fear factor, haven't they? With yes. respect to Brighton, as great as they were last night, they were brave and courageous, you know, and they piled forward and got the rewards. They proved to other teams that Liverpool are vulnerable now, and if you if you take them on, you know, even at Anfield, you can get you get a result. It's funny, Jerry, because I put that to um, Graham Potter before the game. I said, you know, you must have Harry watched Potter. that. Harry Potter. Harry Potter, as he is today. Um, uh, yeah, I asked him, yeah, do you watch that goal against West Ham, that breakaway goal, five touches from a West Ham corner, and think, you know, if Liverpool are on it, there's nothing we can do. And he he said before, he said, yeah, we go in respect, but we don't go in fearing anybody. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's the point. They don't incite that kind of fear, as you say. There, there's a feeling that you have got a chance if you're willing to go toe-to-toe, -to -toe, work the extra mile, cover the ground that you need to, uh, mm -hmm. and work as a unit, because that's, that's all that Brighton did and did it very well. I mean, last season, I suppose a lot of teams were beaten before they even stepped, mm. foot, on, stepped foot on Anfield. It's just not the case this season. But what we look, I mean, look, we've known this for decades, haven't we? Getting to the top is, is hard, but staying there is even harder. You know, yeah. only two is, teams is have won back to back titles. Is there an element of that? Because we, we, we talk about, you know, Klopp was talking about it last season. And listen, no one can deny they've had horrendous luck with, with, with injuries. Van Dyke, you know, Gomez. It, it's, it's arguably their first choice centre center half pairing, both out. You know, this, this, you know, for the season. I mean, yeah. you know, it's very, it's incredibly harsh to have that. But is it beyond that? Is it? Is it? 
Is it also the pressure? Because I always think the definition of a truly great team is defending the Premier League title, is defending... Well, it's only happened twice, hasn't it? Mm. United and City are the only two teams mm. to do it. And, you know, that shows you how difficult it is. But you've also got to take into account the fact that this season is the weirdest one of all. Yeah. Just, to, just to compound Klopp's problems, you know, they've not had any fans inside Anfield, or they did for a brief spell, but... You know, having no fans at Anfield for Liverpool is like losing a goal because mm. we've all been there down the years. It's probably the loudest and most passionate ground you'll go to in the, mm. in the UK. So, you know, that's been huge. There's been obviously issues with players getting COVID and so much disruption. So that's just piled on the complications for Klopp and obviously lose, losing so many key players is... Uh, has been has been crucial as well, but I just think that I just I know we've discussed this on this show before, but I just staggered that how they handled the the window and didn't really seem to have a plan what to do about plugging the holes in the defence. Yeah, they it was last minute. Well, last minute. dot com, yeah, wasn't it? I mean, much. it really it really was. It felt felt shambolic, if I'm yeah. honest. Which has been the absolute opposite of their transfer business in the last couple mm. of years, in particular. It, it really felt. Well, it didn't felt right, Andy, did it? I mean, no, it, 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 it ended up with a couple, but you know, it's not. It, it, it was very odd, I, I, as you say. If, if, if there has been one recruitment department in the Premier League that has been lauded to high heaven, um, it is the Liverpool recruitment department. You know, allegedly they can do absolutely nothing wrong. Well, well, well they certainly haven't done much right in the January window um, in terms of problems that, you know, that, that, that were flagged up, you know, a long time before the window even opened and to leave mm-hmm. the business until, well, essentially until February the 1st, you know, just does strike you as extremely odd, you know, and even Klopp's sort of murmurings on the subject during January hinted that maybe he wasn't best pleased with it. So yes, that they, they, I mean, it, it is, as Jeremy says, quite inexplicable the way they, that they handled that. Well, on the bigger picture, the bigger picture, of course, is that is that for three years, for three seasons, you know, they've been playing the sort of um, demanding, intense football that, that that may may eventually take some sort of long term toll on you mentally mm-hmm. and physically, and, and it's been the same core of players. You know, it's certainly been the same attacking um, unit um, for that time. Um, and you know, bear in mind they got to the Champions League final um, in one season, then they, they they won it and only narrowly lost out to City. Um, for the title the next season and then won the title last season. So yeah, it's incredibly demanding on your mental. And also, you know, th- there is probably an element where where you think, you know, th- th- there's a, it's not a complacency, but it's, you, you've now done what you want to do. You've won the Champions League, you've won the Premier League, you've, you, you've ended that, that, that way for the Premier League. So I guess a natural fall off is probably not surprising really. And don't forget, you know, we, we shouldn't really over-dramatise their sort of... Um, their troubles at the moment, you know, but they're coming on. They came into yesterday's game on the back of beating Spurs in London, of beating West Ham, who are now once again, you know, vying with several others to be the media's favourites um, on their own patch, you know, and they're now the next best thing, you know. So, so they've kind of beat Spurs and West Ham away from home, you know. There's, there's no, um, you know, it's not, you know, rumours of their demise are exaggerated, but they have got issues for sure, you know, and, and issues in comparison with last season. Yeah. But, you know, let's put it this way. What if they beat City on Sunday? I and mean, we talk about the narrative will be, well, if they lose, that's it. Their, their defence of the title is over. And I'm sure that's probably the case. But what if they win? You know, what if they win? And, OK, the gap's four points. City will have a, still have a game in hand. However, all of a sudden, you know, they might put a run together. I don't think... 
you know, as I said, I don't think it's as dramatic. I don't think they've gone to pieces. I think mm-hmm. those, those wins um, away from home with Spurs and West Ham prove that. But yes, he, he, he has issues that, you know, and again, you know, we're talking about football matches and how small things in football matches can affect it. And Matt referenced that one that, that Salah missed. And that was, mm-hmm. a, that was an absolute, absolute archetypal Salah chance. That's yeah, the one that he makes himself. That's the one he normally finishes. I mean, you know, if you could, if you could pitch it and draw a Mo Salah goal, it would have been that one in the early stages in Brighton that he missed. So yeah. it's almost that it's different. I was at the Burnley defeat when Origi goes through um, all on his own, one-on-one, um, late, I think, in the first half, late-ish in the first half at Anfield. Mm. And for some reason, he blasted it. He blasted well, and he hits the underside of the crossbar, bounces down, you know, um, Burnley side of the line, unfortunately, but away it goes. If that goes in, it's different. So like all games, you know, they can hang on on on, on the minutiae. But have they got issues? Yes, he needs to deal with it. Is there... Oh, is it terminal? No. Um, is it the result of maybe three years of incredibly intense football? And possibly the drop-off is that's the reason why we shouldn't be surprised. Yeah, Klopp does does, does refer to um, fatigue mm. a lot, and understandably so. Um, I, I, I have to say, I, I, shame we don't have time to get into the media darling of this week um, and, and that and that debate. But there you go. We better move on. <laughs> I'm always ready for one. Just make that a regular one. No, Frank's on. What are you going to do now? Frank's not a job. Oh, yeah, I don't know. Moise. I'll have to jump on another one. Moise, are you? Yeah, Moise, yeah, Moise. Got to me. It, it, is, it, it is fantastic, though, isn't it? Looking through um, everything about, about West Ham at the moment, it does remind those of us of a certain vintage of the old days. Um, of uh, I'm, I'm going back a couple of decades now, maybe even more, when when there really was, when, when we had an awful lot of um, uh, West Ham, um, people with their... With a fondness for West Ham, let's put it that way, amongst us. Yeah, they used to sing Press Boss, Press Boss, give us a waiver up to Bar. <laughs> it, it was, uh, yeah, I mean, and that, that was just a coincidence, you know, everyone everyone supports the team. A while ago, we just happened to Everyone have a, came uh, through the new and recorded, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everyone had two, jelly deals three, for pre match, you know, all like that. It was him. Um, and now, and now. Isn't it great to see that coming back? It's like we've gone full circle now. It's like, you know, but anyway, move, move on from me. No, no, not really. Not really. I always remember one crazy, <laughs> crazy game when I, d- I couldn't remember. But we won the, the World story, Cup. Right? I know they won the World Cup. They remember going to see some game or other where West Ham were never the story, never in a million years. And I remember getting this call on on a Sunday because, you know, you're doing your Sunday for Monday match reports <laughs> from the Saturday game. Oh, no, you'll have to spin it round. I said, Guys, West Ham are not the story. Oh, yes, they are. <laughs> they are. <laughs> always always the story. Yes, yes, always. Uh, anyway, I digress. We should look at the other games. I'll tell you what. I mean, it's brilliant last night because, <laughs> you know, um, flicking through the channels, you're able to watch, you know, so many different games on, on, on BT Sport and, and with the with the added bonus of Peter Walton comedy thrown in as well. <laughs> I mean, the, the guy is absolute genius. I shouldn't actually deride him that much because fair play to BT Sport. I do actually think that they, they, they had the idea first of putting up a... Um, a ref expert, which I think is a you know incredibly well uh, well yeah. uh, received addition 
Um, he, he's just his remarkable, <laughs> remarkable knack of always Push getting off for getting things wrong. <laughs> but it is a great idea because I have to say, I do, you know, there's so many games at the moment, so many uh, different broadcasts and so many different pundits, and it's great to have something different. For, so fair play to them for that and for giving us Peter Walton his comedy goal. But I do, I did flip between some of the channels. And you know, Leicester Matt played ever so well, didn't they? They, they? You know, they can they can be hot and cold. They they were a bit you know cold on Sunday. Terrific last night, or you know, good win for him last night. Leeds, you know, I know you love a bit of Leeds chat. What a game that was against Everton, you know. And two, I mean, it's, it's water wall football at the moment. How is it? The two Leeds the two Leeds Everton games this season have been absolute bangers, haven't they? Absolutely, absolutely crazy bangers. games. Yeah, well, absolutely. But they're both teams who want to play football and there's quite a few of those in the league this year, which is the one saving grace of, you know, the one reason we're still keeping going with this whole Premier League thing in amongst the situation we're in is, is for entertainment and, and they're certainly providing that. And, and there's the Villa-West Ham game was good too, wasn't it, Donny? Mm. It was, sorry? The Villa-West Ham game was a good game mm. too. I know, I know West Ham won comfortably then, but Villa played pretty well. They did. And I'll tell you what, Emmy Martinez, I mean, showed he's actually a bit, he's human after all. I mean, you, you yeah. know, just, just with the second goal there, you know, I thought that basically, you know, Villa have been a revelation, you know, haven't they? But, um, but you, you know, but what was the, what was the eye-catching result, Matt, or the performance of, of the other, of the other games, do you think, last night? Um, I think West Ham again. Yeah, I think, yeah, yeah. I was going to say, just picking through what what the others what we've already talked about. I think it's mm. West Ham again. Yeah. Um, the fact that that the the media darling at the moment is carving out these results, it's yeah, it's remarkable where where they started the season, the mess they started the season mm. in, for him to still be able to pick pick out results like that and not mm. fade and die like their uh, like their bubbles. Um, yeah, it's great. It's just interesting to see how long that can keep going for and whether they can see it through to an actual decent you know, finish in the Premier League or whether it's going to be another one of those seasons and yeah, nearly. And then the, the owners get excited because they think, you know, if we buy the, this this player that I've heard of from a mate, um, then uh, we can crack it and then it all implodes again over the next summer. So, yeah, what interesting time for them. What did Moy say to Jesse Lingard before kickoff? Well, I mean, what a remarkable debut! It was. I, mean, I only saw the highlights because obviously I was, I was at the Burnley with Dunny. But I mean, yeah, two I mean, goals, that, two oh. goals ran the show for West Ham. He's he's, he's not played all season. So yeah. I don't, I don't know where the last time he played, played is, but yeah, he's I mean, a good player, isn't he? He's, he's, he's looked like a player who yeah. was in the England team in, in Russia. But, yeah. but I think he's always been a big fish, doesn't he? Well, that's the thing, though, isn't it? He's gone from being a, no- a nobody, really, but became a nobody at United, totally frozen out, to being he could become their their, their main their main yeah. man now. I mean, he, he wasn't shy on celebrating his achievement on social media, was yeah. he? I mean, he sees, yeah, and good luck to him. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's I'm, the kind of player. If that's what gives him a buzz, then he's in the right place because yeah. he can. He's had a really rough time at United, not just on the pitch, but off. I think he's had some personal problems with his family and stuff. So, you know, I think things have happened that we don't really know about that have contributed to not being in the picture. So, you know, I know, yeah, he he can be annoying on social media, but there's a good player in there and we should be pleased for him. He's a young English player. 
you may get back into the England fold at some point. Not obviously, I doubt for the Euros, but um, it was very impressive last night. It's good to see him back and being happy again. Secondly, I think it's a victory really for the Premier League loan system. No, it's not, mate. You're winding me up. I mean, good luck to Jesse Lingard, (laughs) but the whole thing is absolutely rotten and diseased. And if I was a West Ham fan, I wouldn't be happy having Jesse Lingard there. I mean, Really? We to be, no, not no, at no, all. No, I don't care. He's, he's not our player. If I'm a West Ham fan, he's not our player. He's Manchester United's player. Manchester United, Jesse Lingard scored twice last night. Manchester United, Jesse Lingard will go back to Old Trafford unless West Ham cough up an awful lot of money in the summer. He's being sent there for rehabilitation. You know, West Ham are being patted on the head by a club that clearly don't think West Ham are serious rivals. Otherwise, they wouldn't be lending them um, players. Mm. And the whole the whole system's just wrong. I'm, I'm, but I, I am now. Listen, I admit I am now a lone voice. It has become a lone voice. No one turned to hear now when it's Chelsea's Ross Barkley versus Aston. You know, we and no one turned to hear that Jesse Lingard won't be able to play against Manchester United, but can play against Manchester City. No one turned to hear that you have a competition which sides now cannot play the same team because they're borrowing players. You know, no one turned to hear about in the last game of the season. What if Jesse Lingard? is playing for West Ham United, who are in direct competition with Manchester United for one place, a fourth place in the Champions League. Does Jesse Lingard play for West Ham? What if he misses a penalty in the last minute for West Ham, allowing United to go through? What does that say about the integrity of the competition? But they've all accepted it. You know, and listen, I remember, and you guys will will probably have had the same conversation with Richard Scudamore. That was the one rule that he said to them, listen, this is wrong. You know, this is fundamentally wrong. It is fundamentally wrong. They said, no, it suits us. And that's it. It's there for good now. You just have to get on with it. But it's just wrong. You know, if I'm, if, I, if I'm someone, I don't think, I think clubs like West Ham and Aston Villa should not be going, borrowing players off clubs like Chelsea and Liverpool. It be, sorry, Chelsea and Manchester United. It basically says to you, this is the pecking order. So we have the big six who are quite happy to, as I say, pat these other clubs on the head saying, listen, you're doing really well. Do us a favour. Jesse Lingard can't get into our team. He's not quite good enough for us, but, but do, keep him in the shop window so we might get some money for him. Give him some rehab so he picks up his form and then we can have him back. It's wrong. Mm. But they, they, no, you know, but I'm, I'm made up for Jesse Lingard. It's great to see him play. Would you like to see the loan system abolished? I'm slightly... You know, Within, I, I, I generally think that one Premier League club cannot loan a player to the Premier That's what I would like. Yeah. You can, you can, yeah. In the same way that, that, that Craig Dawson is playing for West Ham, that's fine from a different competition. I think loaning within a competition is just fundamentally wrong. I mean, I, yeah. I, I, I have to say, I admit, I am now virtually, you know, I'm about to, yeah. to use a phrase to win. Yeah, well, he's, he's done. He's done it week after week after week. It's your turn, Jeremy. No, I, I think what interesting. What really sort of kind of picked my picked my attention this week was that Leicester wanted to loan um, uh, Ainsley Maitland-Niles from Arsenal. Yes, and our, Arsenal basically were prepared to sanction a loan for the player. Yeah. Um, and then you know we're entertaining Southampton, and yet wouldn't entertain Leicester. Wouldn't even pick up the phone to a Leicester. No, there was a Leicester interest there, and the phone wasn't the phone call wasn't returned. I mean, it's remarkable, absolutely remarkable. And is yet that because load is that- West Brom because they saw Leicester yes. as a rival. And listen, exactly. on that point, it's it's. It's, it's wrong. It's wrong. Manchester United aren't lending Jesse Lingard to um, to Manchester City, should they ever want him. They're not lending him to Liverpool. They're not lending them. You know, they, they genuinely think, well, well, listen, you know, and they might have it wrong in the same way that Chelsea have probably got it wrong about Aston Villa lending them to Ross Barkley. But don't forget, it's also in their interest in, in, because they are going to want the chance of Jesse Lingard having a long-term future at Manchester United 
are fairly slim. It still might yeah. happen, but they're fairly slim. But six months or five months of inactivity is clearly going to take away from his value. Yeah. So you know, so, so basically, use it for two reasons: to keep him fit, to get his confidence back up, and to put him in the shop window. You know, and at the same time, getting a few quid in rental charges from from West Ham. But anyway, that's. I don't. I digress. Right now, yeah. Southampton. I mean, honestly, we we all said, didn't we? And, and you know, myself included, have written all these wonderful pieces about Ralph Hasnahutl reinventing Southampton after their nine nil humiliation, mauling. Call it what you like. And I, I for one, think he's done an absolutely incredible job at St Mary's. But here we are, what fifteen months on, and they've suffered the same scoreline again. <laughs> I mean, I just. Tell us about that game, guys. I mean, it's a totally freak result. Freak beyond all comprehension to me that that can happen again. It can happen once, particularly (laughs) as the strides we've seen Southampton make. I mean, you know, what does it say about Man United? What does it say about Southampton? What's, you know, the VAR at the end? Talk to me. Well, Jamie, you didn't... My... my... My abiding memory, aside from that tackle of Jankovic, is in this. Well, well, there was a massive debate in the press box about what time it actually took place and what time he got sent off. But we all agreed to agree on a number. But you know, look, it was it, the game had just got going, and he clattered into um, McTominay. Um, look, it was a horrendous challenge, and he deserved to be sent off. It was look, probably uh, Mike Dean's simplest red card he's ever given in his career. But <laughs> the look on Hassan Huttle's face as he stood there, he was literally yards away, and he, the cameras panned onto his face, and I'll never forget the look on his face. It was just he could not believe what he was seeing. We couldn't really, but, I mean, look, the young lad, he was making his full Premier League debut, Old Trafford, you know, big game, rush of blood to the head. I don't know the player, so I can't judge him. But yeah, it, it was—it just changed the whole game, ruined it for Southampton. And United were ruthless. Fair play to them; they abandoned the goals, um, and they took full advantage. And it's going to be tough for Hassan. All I mean, he, the, look, he rebuilt the team's confidence after it happened against Leicester, and they won—I think five of the first eight games at the start of this season. He changed his tactics around following that Leicester hammering. Um, and came up with a different blueprint, which which has succeeded um, for long spells. They were top of the table, weren't they, at one point? Mm-hmm. Not, not, not only briefly, but, you know, even so. Mm-hmm. For them to be top of the table is quite an achievement. So he's got, he, he will feel like he's back to square one. Um, but look, at, like you said earlier, John, he's, he's clearly a good manager. He's he's done great, great, made great strides with Southampton um, since he took over. And he'll, he'll back himself to... Um, to, to come back from this again, I mean, but it's, you know, to lose 9-0 once is careless, to lose 9-0 twice is just ridiculous. Isn't it? <laughs> yes. but just go, just before I let the other guys talk, the, the red card at the end, Benyak, yeah. um, was was absolutely laughable, I thought. I mean, yeah. I've never seen a player do more to try and avoid making contact with, a, with an opponent in penalty area. Yeah. He did everything he could not to touch him. And Mike Dean gave the penalty, went to VR, went to look at the monitor. And you just knew Dean was not going to overturn his own decision. Yeah. Just, you know, and he pointed to the spot. He just, he just summed up the night for Southampton. So he's now lost that player. 
Good player, by the way. Good yeah, yeah, yeah. He scored an own goal. You know, just one of those nights. He gave away a penalty. He scored an own goal and got sent off. Off from that, that is crap. No, he is a good player. <laughs> I know. He, you know, he gave away a penalty that wasn't a penalty, and then basically, you know, got sent off for a challenge that wasn't a sending off. In my view, I mean, I, I, I have to say, I think, I think that, some of the decisions this week have been ridiculous and well, highlighted the the, the, the glory. It was very similar to the Louise in, in challenge in the sense that. Both players were, it was an accidental foul, if you like. You know, they didn't go in there with the intention of fouling the opponent. So you just think, why can't common sense prevail and say, look, okay, it's a penalty, but it's not a red card. You know, by the letter of the law, I've got to give a penalty here, but no red card. The stupid thing, Jeremy. It's crazy. He'll be missing for three games now. Crazy. Jeremy, the stupid thing is the fact that it was an accidental foul is what makes it a red card. Because if you're playing the ball and give away a penalty, then it's no, no red card. It's a double jeopardy mm. situation. You've been punished if you're yeah. making an honest attempt to play the ball. But because he wasn't, because he was trying to go do everything he could to not go anywhere near the ball, then he has to be sent off because that's just, what the laws say. Again, just it's like common sense the law has gone out of the game. The moment that's yeah. just been highlighted by VAR. There's no common I don't, sense I in the don't game. know, you know, Matt. I, I, I hear what you say, and, and like you, I'm... You know, I, I pride myself and I f- sometimes feel a, a frustration when, when players mindlessly tweet or post things on social media decrying decisions. And I'm thinking, no, 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 no. You've got it wrong because you don't know the laws. Yeah. So the first thing I do yesterday is, is kind of make make a couple of calls to, to say, come on, from the refereeing point of view, Louis and Bednarek, if let's talk it through. And someone, you know, Premier League-wise, PGMRL-wise, both concurred that basically both were harsh, both were understandable. They had far less understanding, I would say, of Bednarek. I didn't feel as if either decision, if either decision had resulted in a yellow card, and indeed I think that basically, you know, the second one not being given a penalty, I don't think we'd have found a referee in trouble this week yeah. and taken off the list. I really don't. Yeah, I agree. But that's in a way the problem with referee is no, almost knowing the letter of the law too well because it mm. does, I mean, I went straight to law 12 mm. like I normally do when it's a contentious thing. You go to the original source material uh, and it does say, and I, it was one that kind of washed over me because you sort of have an understanding of the laws but it's in the minutiae sometimes that some of the problems are but it mm. does say that Providing you're making an attempt to get, you're basically you're sent off if you deny an obvious goal scoring opportunity, mm. unless a penalty is awarded, and you are trying to make a clear attempt, yeah, an attempt to win the ball. Mm. Um, that's paraphrasing again. Um, I haven't got it quite in front of me at the moment, but that's effectively it. So if he goes in, dives in, tries to win the ball, catches it, you know, clatters him, knocks him into the the goal, then he's made an attempt to win the ball. It's a penalty, but it's no red card because it's, mm. you know, he's been punished with the penalty. The if he's on, not, um, sorry, then it's, it's, the letter of the law says he has to go, he has to be sent off. There's no yellow card option. Marshall looks so sheepish as well when he was on the floor looking back at the referee. Mm. He just, he just, he he just knew it wasn't a penalty. Well, he he did. The Southampton players were up in arms about it, and rightly so. And you can always gauge what has, what's happened by the reaction of players because they know they're right there. They know that they know they know the game. So 
you know, it was quite telling. I thought that. Yeah. But it, was I mean, far, it, it was laughable. It, it, it was a it was a dive, and Martial would have taken a penalty for his dive with, with no comments. So, but, but then when Dean sends him off, Martial's thinking, oh, you know, going a bit too far there, Mike. I only dived for the penalty. I didn't dive to get the guy sent off. <laughs> it is still after all. You know what I mean? That, that's where the old common sense goes. Out. I mean, we we don't use them probably. Probably you can't really at that level. But it's funny, Mike Dean only played three minutes of added time. Um, uh, in that game, and, and he must have taken three minutes watching himself on the telly um, uh, when he went to have that review to see how he looked, and um, and certainly took more time to VAR took a lot of time on on a couple of other decisions when um, Che Adams scored scored in that second half. So there was obviously more than three minutes, but he thought, why have I done more than three minutes when at the time it was eight nil? I think they scored one, didn't they? In that in that added three minutes, so you thought, yeah, well, that's just a bit of common sense. Then surely it's a bit of common sense of a team six 0 down with ten minutes to go. You don't really need to send the guy off, do you? You, you know that, that, that's what would that's what happened in the Sunday league. Well, hang on it? a sec, Andy. What happens no, if, no, 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 no. What happens if on, United lose the uh, lose the title on goal difference at the end? Yeah, of the no, season? no, no. I'm, I'm saying I started off by map by saying, but you can't do that. But I'm just making the example that. Can I, can I just read, Ken, just for clarity? Sorry, I mean, what it says in terms of the actual law, uh, and I, I was surprised it said this. Um, if an, there's an incident in their own penalty which denies an obvious opponent an obvious goal-scoring opportunity and the referee awards a penalty kick, the offending player is cautioned if the offence was an attempt to play the ball. In all other circumstances, e.g. holding, pulling, pushing, no possibility to play the ball, etc., the offending player must be sent off. Mm. So basically, in both those situations, if the referee decides it's a penalty... Because they're not trying to play the ball, they has to be a red card as no, well. No, that's no, what no, the law says. Not at all. Not at all. But it says no possibility no, to play no, the ball. It's got to be a red card. Well, well yes, but that, that uh, as John says, that, that's open to interpretation. So, what do you think, David Luiz and Bednarek? What? Why do you think David Luiz was running back? What well, the intention of doing what? Exactly. Well, no, 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 go on, man. What was he running back for? Just, just for a, for a jog, just a, a breeze out <laughs> or whatever. Why was he running back? Position in the first place, like he normally but is. Run, but they, but, 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 but um, the, the whole overarching thing is they're running back with the purpose of getting involved in play. Now, it's the possibility. No, 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 it's not for you to judge what the possibilities of him getting the ball. It, it's clearly worded badly in the sense that it's clearly that is clearly saying that basically if it's, del- if, it's, if, it's if it's deliberately it doesn't matter if he, if he was running back to get an ice cream um if the offense was an attempt to play the ball it's a yellow card well, well, what do you think he was attempting to do why, why was he running back Matt? To, to cover the i mean but that's right, what, to the, do what sorry? The, to to cover the run to whatever if, exactly if they, <laughs> yeah. so it, it involves getting back he's doing he's, he's, he's defending so uh, I, I, mean, I, I go back to the fact anyway, guys, that basically is, I don't think the referee ultimately would have been in trouble had, had he, no, basically, not you know, not and, that, and that, that for me, and you can argue that, that basically that that makes the law a bit of an ass basically, mm, yeah. you know, because then it's that nice kind of, sure. you, you know, we're, we're debating a law. Yeah. Well, it should be black and white, so, surely. The law is looking at there. Clearly, clearly yeah. if, if, if you simply bring someone down when you know you've got no chance of, of getting the ball, to prevent it. I mean, that's what it's always been there for, and the referees interpret that. Before the board and law stuff, but anyway, back, just quickly back to Southampton, and, and Jeremy mentioned about Hasman, who just there, stony face when uh, Jankovic got sent off. He didn't try and rouse his team or anything like that. Southampton surrendered. The 10 men of Southampton 
surrendered at Old Trafford. I was shocked at how quiet they were. You could tell they virtually jacked it in after the second goal winning. They might have had a bit of a talk or two at half time. They had a spell after that when they were okay. But you know, that 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 one is not just on Jankovic and on whatever vagaries of Mike Dean you might decide to, to, to pin on, on the final nine nil. Hasn't had to take a lot of responsibility, you know, for that. He didn't organise that team after Yankovic had been sent off. He gave out the wrong vibes. He basically looked like a man who's saying, look what you've done now. You've cost us the game, which he pretty much repeated after the game. Mm-hmm. You know, I was surprised. Okay, and it's in, the, it's in the, the immediate aftermath of a 9-0 drubbing. I understand that you might not be thinking particularly sort of long term. But, you know, he basically hung the kid out to dry after, after the game. Mm-hmm. He basically just said, you know, you know we're just someone like Rashford was very sympathetic to, to Jankovic. I mean, it's easy to be sympathetic when you've just won nine. But he was saying, you know, he's saying, listen, the young lad clearly wasn't malicious because you can't you can't build up any malice after one minute. It was clearly rash. It was clearly mistimed. Imagine the adrenaline that's going on in this lad's body. It's his, it's his yeah. full Premier League debut. He's 19 years of age and it's our old Trafford. And all that has just got to him. He's mistimed the tackle badly. It looks horrible. It's an automatic sending off. But you think then that, you know, you'd like to think Hartley will be saying, well, well, listen, like, you know, now's the time to, you know, to counsel a guy, to put your arm around him. But instead, he basically just said, listen, you know, it was a horrible mistake and we paid the penalty. Well, yes, you did. But you certainly shouldn't have paid a 9 nil penalty. You should have had the wherewithal to organise a team um, not to get beaten that heavily. Because, listen, when most teams go, and OK, also there's the caveat that Southampton, we're already depleted in terms of quality. There are a lot of players out. However... Most teams, when they go down to 10 men, don't lose 9-0. It seems when Southampton go down to 10 men, there's every chance they're going to lose 9-0. They've done it twice. The one saving grace, John, for, for Saints is that the next game is against Newcastle, who are obviously struggling and they won one game in one, mm. 12 or 13. So, you know, it's a, if you could pick an opponent to, to play next to try and bounce back, Newcastle would be one of the ones you'd probably pick. So, mm, it's interesting to see how they react to it. Yeah, That'll be a reflection of... Uh, that's yeah, motivation, won't it? Absolutely, yeah. Saints injury list is is, is something yeah. to behold. I should add. Uh, yes, listen, yes, I just true. want to touch on on a couple of other uh, newsy stories. I should say oh. this week, Emma Hayes for one. So she's she's um, uh, Chelsea manager at the moment. Uh, our colleague Tony Banks wrote, I thought was a very very thought provoking story, saying that she's on AFC Wimbledon's shortlist. Um, and in, in in all honesty, I've read the story a few times and passed no comment or judgment on 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 their on their potential pursuit. Um, and it created all manner of you know debate, uh, scrutiny, uproar. Emma Hayes saying you know being infuriated, saying they couldn't they couldn't afford me. Um, basically, why on earth does football see it as a, a, a as a step up to to leave the women's game into the men's game? You know, AFC Wimbledon clearly struggling at the moment. Well, I'm thinking, who on earth said, who on earth said it was a, a step up? I'm struck, you know, and even our own website said that Emma Hayes slammed reports. Well, <laughs> there were our reports actually, but anyway, but um, <laughs> you know, absolutely bizarre. Um, and I just. Uh, you know, guys, this, this annoyed—I've got to say—this annoyed me because I think Emma Hayes is clearly a brilliant football manager. She's an excellent pundit, by the way. She, re- you know, so she kind of gets the media. But I didn't feel she got this one at all. What's wrong with being a target for AFC Wimbledon, especially when no one said it was a step up? I did, you know, tell me who did. 
guys? Well, um, look, the, 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 that's not the debate, is it? I think she's clearly in a comfort zone at Chelsea where she's been very successful and she loves the job. So I think she's mm-hmm. talked herself into a bit of a hole by saying they couldn't afford me and then backtracked by saying, you know, what I meant by that was that, you know, I love the job here so much that, you know, it would take a, a great offer to, to prize me away. But at the end of the day, all, all Banksy was doing was stating in his reports that it would be a pioneering move mm, for yes. a woman to take charge of an English men's football team. She would be the first person to do it. No one's saying, you know, this, that or the other. What would make, we're just stating a fact. It would be a, it would be a groundbreaking achievement for her to get a job mm-hmm. as, um, as, as manager of Wimbledon. So, you know, that's nothing wrong with that. It would be a fantastic story, you know, and it would be fascinating to see how she would get on. Because, mm-hmm. you know, rightly or wrongly, there are no women managing men's football teams. That's just the world we live in, unfortunately. So, you know, it would be fascinating to see, to see that change. But if she wants to stay at Chelsea, that's her prerogative. Mm-hmm. I just think she just handled it so badly. Mm-hmm. I agree. I mean, I mean, I mean, the, the, the broader, the broader issue, you know, and I think why it's generated so much debate is because it's, it's an extremely interesting debate, extremely, mm. um, you know, important debate. Is 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 that long term? We talk about the inclusivity of football, and that you know, and and in particular in, in executive le- levels of football, as in coaching, management, um, boardroom, and you know, it is a particular concern of everyone, um, and that includes inclusivity, you know. Um, relates to both race and to gender, you know, and whether or not we will see female coaches um, in, in, in male football. Um, and the thing about this, this particular issue is, is it again, every time says it's fine. She's got a great job, you know, and, and I, I heard Emma this morning saying, you know, what a great job she has and why would she leave that? And why would she, you know, that's, and if you're happy in your job, no one's forced you to leave and no one's certainly suggested that AFC women would step up is a step up. What is beyond doubt that you can suggest is that it would be a huge challenge for the first female coach, first female manager in men's professional football. It would be a huge challenge. If successful, it would be a groundbreaker. It would be a groundbreaker regardless. Is it a step up? I don't think you you can't compare the two. So so let's not go to whether to step up or not. What it is, is a huge challenge. You'd be managing in, in a division um, where if you actually did well and got promoted, you'd be in the championship. You're, you'd be managing against big clubs such as I don't know, Sunderland, Ipswich. You'd be managing in front of bigger crowds than the WSL. That is just a fact. That's a, that's not anything else. So you would be have a massive job with a lot of pressure. So no one can deny that. That 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 is that that is that is not in any way sort of um, derogatory to um, to the standard of the women's game. It's not. It's just saying that 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 if a female coach, whether it be Emma Hayes or anyone else, takes a job at League One level, it would be a, hu- a, a huge challenge for them. If then when you, the debate gets expanded and say, well, why aren't they being, why aren't female coaches with the success rate and the CV of Emma Hayes being offered jobs, say, you know, a Premier League level, well, it's just hard to get offered a job, male, female, at a Premier League level. You know, generally, the people who get offered the job, it's always the case, have extensive experience either at the top level of the men's game or in, you know, at the top of the men's game across Europe. Hence, you know, Thomas Tuchel gets this job. So I just don't think, I don't think it's a slight against, I don't think anyone's suggesting it'd be a step down or a step up. It would just be a new, different challenge, a, a historic challenge. Um, um, but, you know, she's under no, I mean, you know, no compunction to, 
to put herself in with that job. She's got a great job. She's doing a brilliant job. She's happy there. And that is that. But when when it eventually happens, and it will happen, you know, I think at the Super Bowl this week, we've got a couple of um, female coaches in the backroom coaching staff um, on, on one of the teams. And it will happen. You, you know, eventually it will happen. How soon it will happen, who knows? But when it does happen, it will be um, a historic moment. Um, but obviously this particular opportunity, had it come about, is clearly just not the one that Emma Hayes wants to take. And that's no. their prerogative. Yeah, it is. It is. It is a strange. One. It really is. A, it was a strange one because not least for summed up by some journalistic colleagues who obviously cover the women's game far more regularly than I do, mm. although I've written quite extensively, you know, about WSL. But anyway, but uh, you know, sort of the vitriol about sort of you know slamming and sort of getting into reports which frankly weren't there. I just, yeah, yeah. you know, I thought it was the most that that was from a journalistic point of view. I was just mm. struggled to get round my head and my head round, you know, some of the coverage um, that, that this this week. You know, mm. I don't think no one, you know, as far as I could see that that, that in that report there was no uh, no comment about it. it. Would just be groundbreaking, which undoubtedly yes, it would be. And then, you know, frankly, at, at some juncture, you'd like to really think it would happen. Matt, I was just going to touch on another story, which was so you know the social media again um, this week, and I think that basically, perhaps you know, looking at the you know Ian Wright's disappointment yesterday um, was something that you, you know you felt strongly about, didn't you? And kind of you know how well, we can tackle it and- after writing all week about all the various Premier League footballers mm. being attacked. Yeah, here's someone who's been excused by a judge. Um, you know, are we dealing with a criminal or are we dealing with someone who's mindless and naive? Mm. Uh, and he decided the latter. Well, I, I just find that really abhorrent in the 21st century that you can attack someone, threaten their life because of their skin colour uh, and be just, you know, labelled mindless and naive. I love the front page of Jeremy's paper this morning. Um, cops, don't use social media if you're a moron. Uh, I'm sure that's probably not a direct quote for the cops, but uh, but but the the thought of it's there. You know, it would be great if there wasn't idiots on social media, uh, and I think the world would be a lot happier place. But to forgive them for being idiots, if they choose to to write some of this vile stuff, then then that that is a, should be a criminal offence, uh, and judges aren't helping if they they don't accept that and stand up to that, uh, and it just gives a free pass to any idiot, moron, whatever you want to call them, to write what they want. And, and it's just a massive step back. Um, there's a lot of work going on at government level at the moment. They hope to have uh, make Twitter accountable, make you know platforms accountable that print this stuff uh, by the end of the year. And that's when it will stop because then there'll be money involved. Um, but, but it is just frightening that people can't take it upon themselves to do the right thing for the right reason. Um, uh, and, yeah, Ian Wright had forgiven the guy uh, because, you know, that's his prerogative. But, but then to have that seen as something that made it less, of, less offensive is just totally against the tone of, of where we're trying to go with all this. Uh, yeah. And it's frightening that it can happen in 2021. Yeah. What did you think of uh, Marcus Rashford's approach after the Arsenal game? He posted there, didn't he? It was, I mean, Marcus Rashford, I have to say, has now become almost a voice for a generation, the voice for football. Uh, I think when he, when he, when he talks, he posts, it, it, it kind of, you know, he's almost saying that basically giving them oxygen, let's not do that. Don't, don't post underneath. Mm. 
I, I you know, I, I don't know where, I don't know. There, there is an investigation going fields. underway with Greater Manchester Police, of course, mm. which he's helping with. Mm, so that's course. exactly the right tone. I mean, we don't, you know, we don't know who these people are. They, they don't get kudos with their friends saying that Michael Strashford has, you know, mentioned you or reacted to you. Um, so, but at the same time, hopefully there'll be a knock on their door at some point in the future. Mm. And then a judge at the end of the process who will deal with the case properly. Um, because mm. is it, we need to know this is going on because unless Marcus Rashford tells us about it, you know, you don't necessarily know you, you're oblivious to it. So we need to know it's going on, but, and that, but at the same time, we need to, uh, the whole system needs to be in place to protect these people. Uh, and when judges make decisions like this, then, you know, it's just. The issue yeah, now, John, is obviously that all these morons out there who feel it acceptable to, to, to wear these bigoted views, mm. See what's happened in the Ian Wright incident with this Patrick O'Brien in in Ireland, and and um, the scene literally get away with, with it. He's, where's yeah. the, so where's the deterrent for these people in the future to stop them from acting in the same way? If they think, well, this guy just got a slap on the wrist, so you know, if the worst comes to the worst, they end up in court. I'm not going to get sent to prison or you know banned from social media or anything. So you know, it's alarming to say the least. You just feel like. We're still talking about it now. We were talking about it a year ago. We we're talking about it five years ago. We're just on like some sort of tragic roundabout where it keeps happening. People keep these clubs keep raising the issue with Instagram and Facebook. I spoke to United after the first incident of, of the racist abuse towards Swansea and um, Martial, and they were really reluctant to make a statement because they thought, why why give these people credence and oxygen and, and, and highlight them and give them, you know, publicity when nothing ever seems to change? And mm. I think the issue is that clubs have gone to t- high executives at Twitter and places like that, platforms like that, had talks about what to do about the situation. Nothing ever changes. They just get paid lip service, and it's it's just just feel like we're going around in circles yeah no it really does i mean it does feel 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 crazy at the moment in, in, in sort of you know wh- wh- where we go with it what what the solution is let's let's hope we can find one look on, on we should finish on a lighter note guys um changing the tone dr- dr- dramatically so forgive me for doing that but um the the um sean dyche and his press conference this week caused a, a great deal of entertainment. And I always think Sean Dye is one of those entertaining sort of kind of, uh, uh, you, you know, sort of uh, slightly off the wall sort of characters, isn't he? And, um, you know, talking about his love for certain TV shows, the look of playing the looky-likey game and said if other managers in the Premier League are not prepared to join in in the looky-likey game, then he's going to come down to sort of random random grounds up and down the country and hit them with a wet fish. And um, and, and it, uh, who's been, who's been, guys? I mean, you know, in this, it's crazy at the moment, isn't it? That basically you sit in your office and you sit in your home and some, suddenly sort of a manager is beamed, you know, in, in, into your into your laptop, into into your office, into your front room, basically, and, and suddenly you're talking talking to him, you know, in in a strange set of circumstances. You'd normally be at the press conference, and it's a, d- a different world. Who's been your star of the lockdown? Who's who's given you the most entertainment? Who's given you the most revealing answers? Who you can't have Sean Dyche, obviously. Um, who's, who's been who's yeah. been your star? 
Well, I don't have one. I mean, Guardiola, every Zoom you do with him, he looks like he just doesn't want to be there. <laughs> just goes through the motions. The wonderful manager that he is, he just clearly dislikes having to deal with the media. But Daesh, look, I I've not done a lot of Daesh, but the one the one Zoom I did do with him, I know you said we couldn't have Daesh, mm. but I'm sorry, but he's the only, he, he appears to be the only man I've Zoomed with that... that just doesn't take himself too seriously and tries to bring a bit of humour to it, have a laugh, interact with the journalists. You know, you don't get that anymore. It's so sanitised. You go on, it, it, the press conference takes place, the manager just goes through the motions, it's all scars the same, and then the press officer just cuts you off at the touch of a button and it's over. You get a blank yeah. screen and get back again, and it's so... It's just a totally different world to, to the one we used to live in. And it, it's a fair play to Daesh. You know, he tries to have a bit of banter, cheer people up. People hang on his every word, especially the local guys. And it, it's good, good for him. I did one yeah. with him. I did one with him a couple of months ago before a cup game. And he started the, he started the Zoom. This guy came on and he was one of the local radio guys. And it, fair play, he looked a bit bedraggled. He looked like he just got out of bed. Not washed his hair. <laughs> And Dice just ripped into him straight away and started taking the mickey out of him. And I'm like, what's yeah. going on here? This is different. We don't get this at, don't get this at Man City. No. And then it went on for about an hour and a half, this Zoom. It was like having a pint down the pub with someone and just chewing the fat over what's going on in the world. Anyway, the, the subject came around to music. And, and a, a, I don't know if you can remember that there used to be a band called Groove Armada. Oh, yeah. I do. I, well, do. I went to school with oh. one of the lads from Groove Armada. I went to school with him. He used to be mates really? with him. Yeah. I lost touch with him after we finished school. And obviously, Dice was into his music. So I sort of buttered in with this anecdote about my mate uh, called Andy Coker, who was one of the two guys who formed Groove Armada, mm-hmm. where I met him, um, bumped into him at Manchester Airport when I was on my way to my stag do to Prague. And I said, how are you doing, mate? Ready to catch up? And um, I said, listen, where are you going? He said, I'm going to Stockholm. I'm doing a gig. He was DJing for the weekend. So I sack that off and come to Prague with me and my mates. We'll have a better weekend in Prague, mate. Trust me. So, well, I'm getting 80 grand to go to Stockholm. So I said, you know, get yourself to Stockholm. It's getting 80 grand for one weekend's work. So I told this story to Daesh and he was like, he was just like gobsmacked. And it was like, it, it was good interaction, but it felt like he had an in, genuine interest in what you had to say, not just the other yeah. way around. You know what yeah. I mean? I thought, fair, yeah. play to, fair play to you, mate. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah the yeah, pretty yeah. manager, but he's he's grounded. You know, he's he's probably probably grounded. I must say, one of our journalistic <laughs> colleagues always takes a Mickey out of this because he, 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 you know, I'm I'm sure he still does, but probably because the commute makes it difficult. But he's kept his place in Northampton, hasn't he? And so yeah. he, was, he was kind of doing that. And I remember doing an interview with him at Northampton Hilton, which is just off the, just off the, off, <laughs> off, off the M1. And then basically, it was just like, he's just such an ordinary bloke, Sean Dyche, that basically, you know, kind of just got around to kind of what, what do you do? And he said, like, every Friday night, he, he, he would go to the pub, you know, on, on basically go to the pub with his normal Northampton mates and then they'd go for a curry afterwards. And he, he's going like, each and every time, even though I'm like, a, you know, a regular in, in both, each and every time there's someone in there, like doubles a double tank and says, hey, I've telly. He's that football manager. And he's just like such a normal fella, isn't he? He's great. It's like, it's like Chris Wilder saying, that's probably why, they, hey, it's a broad discussion, that's probably why they don't get these big jobs, you see. 
Yeah. yeah. That's I read that somewhere last week. I think he probably did it. If he had the number outs on his name, he'd be in line for the Chelsea job. That, that sort of yeah, thing. Yeah, That's yeah, why yeah. you see lads go down the pub, whatever. But as yeah. it, the thing about these, these Zooms, it has brought how many times has someone said to you now, you're on mute? And oh. like, you know, I mean, and, and, and it just brought a whole. When we and the, and the journalists who then start it with, can you hear me? And now it's just been, I mean, how long now? It's been almost a year, this whole new way of working, you, you know, on gym. The fact that you can't follow up because you get muted by the oh, press just says, Mute has been weaponized, doesn't it, by press So, so all of a sudden your muted comes up like, you know, yeah. you, you say something to a manager, he, he repeats, you think, oh, you know, that's out of order. You want to go back and net, no, 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 bang, you're muted. You, yeah. And you're all consigned. And it has brought a whole... You know, it, the amount of times things have gone wrong or you can't get a signal or, you know, the voice is garbled and it's just ridiculous. My own personal favourites, I don't know whether you know, but I asked a question at the Downing Street briefing once. Yeah, you, you mentioned it once again. Now, funny enough, right, now, now, funny enough, I was in this position and my, and my, I, I, I'm bear in mind it's live. You're, you're like this, don't you? I was. I well, I'll tell you the reason for that. It's because this, this machine, all of a sudden, 10 minutes before you're on air live, this went kaput. So I then had to borrow a set. I had to borrow um, Katie's, my missus, um, my um, uh, her iPad, right? So so I get the iPad. And, of course, then I don't know which way to put it. And they're not telling you. So anyway, it turns out only my forehead pretty much on the screen. But ah, that, that wasn't that wasn't the half of it. So about two minutes ago, and uh, and now Robert Peston, I think, is into his question. And, and, and this producer in my ear says, right, it was Dominic Roberts. says, right. Um, right, okay, you're after um, Jason Gross from the Daily Mail. He's after Koonsberg. He was after Peston. I'm like, all oh, right, they're alive. Whatever. So I'm ready to go on. I'm, but it's on, it's on Katie's. I, I, anyway, so right, okay, he's on. You've probably got about 30 minutes. Anyway, just as I'm about to, like, well, this laptop wears into action. It's my daughter's mate, Daisy, wanting to play Minecraft. Literally <laughs> <laughs> 30 seconds. So I have to basically say, get on the phone to her. And she went, oh, can you play then? I said, no, I can't play Minecraft. I'm about to ask the Foreign Secretary an important matter of state. Well, I'm about to ask him when football coming back. So, I mean, whatever, it wasn't exactly groundbreaking. But, and, and that comes up, and that to me just sort of, you know, and, and thankfully, a second before I was on, she hung up, and I, and, I, and I was able. Well, I could just about see him, and I was able to answer the, ask the question. But what I remember is that sums up the, the, the technical problems you have. You are in the lap of the gods half the time, aren't you? Like, you know, where where if you haven't got a good connection, you can do it on the car, in the car, and, and whatever. And you just you do miss, don't you? You know, Klopp's very good on these, um, but but then that's just because he's very good. Full stop, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. You know, and I think he probably misses the interaction. I'm sure sometimes they miss the interaction. I'm sure sometimes you're just happy, you know, not to do it at all. But um, it, it brings its challenges, that's for sure, doesn't it? Well, what I would say, because once again, I'm left following an Andy Dunn anecdote, <laughs> um, is just as a, a, a sort of pithy end to all that, I think we were all on the goal um, when Gareth Southgate's England briefing was interrupted mm-hmm. by his son coming to get his homework off the printer behind his back. And you think, well, if it can happen to Gareth Southgate, then it can happen to any of us. Mm. So, uh, yeah, that was an unexpected insight into to the Southgate family setup. But, but yeah, his, his uh, GCSE uh, homework yes. was due in and had to be collected off the printer in front of the uh, the nation's media. So you just think, well, if it, yeah. 
if, yeah. if perfect Gareth can do it happens to him, then then we we can all be forgiven. I think absolutely. Yeah. If there's one little, if there's one little thing that, that basically you know that I'm guilty of is always going these over the top thank yous for doing it, because I have to say, when England week, I don't think we 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 you know we must hear from Gareth Southgate on a you know thrice a daily basis basically didn't we and so oh, yeah. it did, did sort of okay, did make me did make me chuckle when someone set up for him to kind of send me a birthday message which was basically taking the mickey out of how many times I say thank you for doing this which which was great but my my lockdown star I think actually is 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 a, his um his predecessor is Roy Hodgson who, who I just think is funny enough I, I don't know whether it's just me you know other people might complain that he's not He's not very cooperative, but whenever I do him on a Zoom, it's largely the pre-match, I have to say. He's absolutely top class. Mm-hmm. He's embraced the technology, speaks incredibly well and clearly, has a bit of a giggle, takes the mickey out of my beard, um, and then basically, you know, just puts puts a, a valid football <laughs> point across. And for all the people that you think, oh, you probably won't like Zoom, you know, yeah. actually Roy is top. I couldn't recommend a Roy Hodgson. Press no. conference highly enough, guys. If you, oh, good. If you fancy, so you'll turn off Friday then, Crossy. No, no, no. Well, let's not go. I think it's Friday. And was he good with you? Yeah, he was very good, actually. Yes, there you go. Yes. Well, well, and I have had our differences over the years, but but well, no, you're too. right. He will yeah. take every question on merit and then give you a very good answer. So. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. I have to say, he's one of those guys that we've given so much stick when we were basically, you know, when he was England manager and probably yeah. left it a year and ran, ran into him actually in Beijing, of all places, doing a pre season tour and basically hadn't seen him for a year. We kind of, we, shall we say, we built bridges over a couple of hours <laughs> over doing a coffee and it was a wonderful, wonderful coming together. And I've got so much time and respect for Roy Hodgson, you know, and still think he does a super job. Anyway, but guys. Thanks so much for joining us. No really, really appreciate your time and your company and, and your thoughts. And, uh, and yeah, putting, putting the world to rights, not least on, on, on the loan market. So let's, yeah, let's, uh, let's, uh, and refereeing decisions as well. So m- many good things to discuss. So thanks so much indeed for, for joining us and uh, really appreciate all, all, all everyone's company. See, see you back here, same time, same place, same lineup, hopefully next, next week. Thank you. 